Welcome to the Intentifiers podcast. I'm your host, Jody Rye, bringing to you stories of intent from folks looking for more humanity in their workplaces through the lens of intentionality. Thanks for tuning in. So I would like to um, welcome you, Dr. Samra, for being here with me today. Thank you so much for sharing your story of intent. And maybe before we dig into that story, I'd love for you to share a little bit about yourself and who you are and what you do and, and, and all of that. So please share. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. And my real pleasure to be speaking with you, Jody. Um, so I am a Vancouver-based, um, born and bred uh, clinical psychologist. And um, I am of South Asian background. That's my background family-wise. I was born here. I have two consulting companies. Um, one is Dr. Jody Samra and Associates, which is a um, clinical practice group located in BC. All services offered virtually right now, given the current climate that we're dealing with with COVID. And I also have a national consulting company called My Workplace Health. Um, and uh, I do consultation with organizations all around psychological health and safety in the workplace. Oh, amazing. I, I can imagine how busy you are at two consulting companies. Um, I'm curious about, uh, given your subject matter expertise, Dr. Samra, as it relates to psychological health and safety and mental health, I'd love to hear about what drew you to that type of work um, and, and the interest in, in, in psychology and now the connection that you're making um, in, in our workplaces. If you could just elaborate a little bit on that, that would be really wonderful. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, my goodness, my my journey to thinking of psychology as a profession goes way back when, <laughs> so when I was quite young. And I, you know, I, I remember actually my, my parents will tell me this, that, um, you know, when I was little, I'd always say I wanted to be a doctor when I grew up. And and um, uh, as a side note, uh, I would uh, pass out if I ever cut myself in blood. <laughs> so I, it was very quickly aware to me that becoming a medical doctor was not uh, going to be the path that was of interest to me. Um, and I found myself kind of very young, um, kind of through elementary school, I'm um, starting to really gravitate toward just loving connecting with people. And so I, you know, I felt I was often the confidant for people and people would come and chat and share. And I just found humans behavior and relationships just absolutely fascinating. And, and uh, my, my uh, first volunteer job, I still remember kind of going into a senior's care home and thinking, I just think I want to go volunteer and talk to people. And, and I remember that if I think of my career trajectory, that was one of the most impactful experiences I had because it really um, demonstrated to me the power that people, um, the power and pull that people have to share their stories um, and to just share it with someone that wants to listen. And as I kind of went through high school, I was always very interested in psychology. I, I was in an IB program and had an English prof um, who had a psychology undergrad and he would take every single thing we were ever talking about or reading, Hamlet, Crimes of Punishment, and he would bring in the human behavior component. Um, and so I knew then that, you know, I wanted to go some a helping route and become a doctor of something. And psychology was a very natural gravitation for me. Wonderful. And I'm, I'm so grateful in terms of seeing the depth and breadth of your, your work and the outreach that you've got. Um, especially for someone like myself who works in human resources and, and the work that you've done in psychological safety and mental health in the workplace. Um, so, you know, your consulting practices, you've got one that's sort of more one-on-one, -on -one, I'm going to assume, um, for, for clinical practice. And I'm, I'm really curious about 
what brought you to wanting to take that love of stories and hearing and, and human connection? What brought you to wanting to do more in the space for workplaces uh, as it relates to psychological health and safety? Like what, what drove you and what impact are you hoping to have? Yeah, great question. Well, I think, you know, it, as is true for most of us, is that there's many little steps along our journeys when we, we land in particular places. Um, and I know myself, first of all, just as an individual and a worker myself, work was always, you know, a big part of my life. And so um, the daughter of immigrant workers, I mean, you know, by the time I was yeah, young, under double digits, <laughs> under 10, you know, uh, picking berries in the farms with family and uh, getting a job, getting babysitting jobs, getting then my first job in a bakery. Like those were things that very early um, in my background, I just did. And that was kind of what we had to do. You needed to get something extra or do something. And um, and so that was a kind of wide work history. Um, and I, you know, still find work is just such a critical part of who we are, right? And our identity. And, and I I think for so many of us, the jobs that we have, the skills that we start to develop, I always found work interesting. So I was always find someone, I was someone who always liked work. <laughs> so there's something about work that I loved. And, and as I kind of evolved through my graduate degree, um, I actually have a forensic specialty, um, which is something a lot of people don't know about now. But way back when I used to think, oh, you know, federal prisons and corrections and all of these, these kind of criminal forensic areas were ones that I was working in and specializing. I started to realize very quickly that that wasn't an area that I saw myself in long term. And so while I was nearing the end of my PhD, um, I found I was just very interested in issues around kind of, you know, law and standards and practices and behavior and started to gravitate a lot more toward initial years occupational disability. So trying to understand when individuals were um, struggling and having complicated health issues, which were not just physical, but also emotional and took them off work and had impacts, um, you know, kind of what that experience was like. And as I started to delve into um, a lot of work around occupational disability early in my career, I've been a practicing psychologist almost 20 years now. Mm. Um, and so early days I was working in occupational settings where people were off work um, they were off work for extended periods of time. Um, I would get called in on the service that I was leading um, because often there were questions about hmm, the physical injuries that we're seeing don't seem to match up with, you know, why somebody is off work for, you know, in some cases, six or seven or eight years. And so part of my job was to put together that story of the factors that contribute to disability, particularly when it pertains to work. Um, and I just found it amazingly fascinating to start to delve in and understand that when people were really being impacted mental health-wise within um, work environments, there was often this really complex interplay of things. So their own life stuff that was happening, maybe a loss or changes, a baby, a death, a divorce. Um, often at work, these are often very high performers, so individuals that are you know, working hard and um, professionals, very invested in their career, often like you know, kind of getting promotions and things happening at work where they had high levels of responsibility. Um, and there would just be this kind of perfect storm of stressors that would be occurring. And rarely was it ever so simple that it was only something in someone's personal life mm -hmm. um, or only within one domain. Um, and that led me to become so interested in all the psychosocial contributors of our work environment. Um, and uh, that led to me starting to specialize back, oh, geez, starting back in about 2006. Um, 
very much in issues around workplace mental health and the factors in our work environments that can be protective factors so that can help us when we're dealing with the inevitable personal stuff that we're all going to deal with over time. Um, and also conversely, the factors that were really harmful and really led people to have to quit jobs and leave places, leave careers and industries that they loved. Yeah, I, there's so much, so much um, uh, richness in what you just said. And, and when you mentioned uh, even the initial part around, uh, you know, your, your kind of in earlier um, jobs and, and berry picking, my husband did the same at his aunt's house. Um, blueberry picking was something that he sort of grew up in and, and has, has evolved into actually being a chiropractor now. But what I loved about what you said was, um, it was something that I, I often feel uh, we, we lose sight of is that we bring our whole selves to work. Um, and and the, me the many aspects and elements that are in our entire life don't stop when we walk into the, in, into the workplace, you know, and, and now, you know, in COVID, it's a little bit different because it's, it's a lot of us are remote. But I, I like that you focused on that there's lots going on for people. And so it, it feels like your expertise and, and recognizing the layers and the complexity of what it means to be human and what that looks like in the workplace. Um, seems maybe not now cutting edge, but at the time when you were doing this work, I guess it's a question I have for you. Did you did you see the gaps in workplaces for why it was so important to really dig deep and understand where people are coming from, what the stressors are as it relates to their mental health? I yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I would say, you know, in many ways, it still does feel, you know, cutting edge might feel a bit strong, but, but mental health is something just as a society, we do a terrible job mm -hmm. speaking about. And I would certainly say if we look at now versus 10 years ago, um, certainly versus 20 years ago, when I was finishing grad school, we've come a long way as a society. Um, and I think the last number of months have really expedited our our journey to thinking about mental health in this global collective way. But we do a pretty bad job actually in our organizations. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, talking about issues and the reality is, 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 is you said we can't leave ourselves at, at home when we go to work. And so we're one person, right? Wherever you go, there you are. The beautiful title of a of a mindfulness book that I love, and and we're there. And so if you have this stuff going on at home and you go to work, you're there. And and here's the thing: like if we step back um, and think about just you know mental health, often I do a lot of media work, and and one of the things that I mean, bless the media, but you know, also some of the challenges within the media are we have this portrayal of mental health issues that is really inaccurate, right? Mm -hmm. We think of violence, we think of extremity, we think of things like murder. And I mean, the reality is that is not what mental health issues look like. The vast majority of, of people with mental health issues are going to be like you and I, <laughs> the working professionals that, that are struggling. And we know that you know, I'm a research scientist at heart, and the data does not lie. And so the data will tell us every single year, one out of five of us, so that's 20% every single year are going to deal with a psychological health issue, anxiety and depression. And suffering is part of the human condition, right, as the Buddha says. And, mm -hmm. and it is, it's just something, it's not a thing. It's not a thing that maybe we're going to get stuck with. It's part of the human experience and condition. Mm -hmm. And I do feel like that's a very big shift still for people to have and make. And so 
when I got very heavily involved, um, you know, one of my proudest career accomplishments has been um, being very heavily involved in the development of a national standard of Canada for psychological health and safety in the workplace. And so that's work that I've been involved in since 2006. Um, I'm the lead research scientist who's developed the psychosocial frame that's now been adopted um, by the standard. And I'm a founding member of the, our technical committee nationally that has created the standard. Um, and what's very unique about the standard is one, it was the very first time in Canada that we had a national best practice guideline, a Canadian Standards Association guideline that spoke to what we need to do when it comes to our organizations around mental health. And not only is this the first standard in Canada, um, it's the first standard in the world. And mm. so um, ISO, which is the International Organization of Standardization, um, has had in the works now for a couple of years the development of an international standard. And we, being our CSA committee, has a mirror committee working with the international standard. And so when we talk about things being very new and novel still, I would say all of our practices around psychological health and safety are still very early days. And so while the standard came out in 2013, it's like an infant. It's just in the few first few months of life. And if we look at occupational health and safety, right, the equivalent from a physical standpoint, I mean, my goodness, it started back in 1920s. And here we are a year, 100 years later dealing more than ever with health and safety issues. Um, and so it takes decades for these things to evolve over time. And we're just in those, that, those very first few few stages developmentally. Yeah, you know, and I really appreciate you you shedding that lens on, you know, the, so much of the work that happens in organizations, they'll call, you know, organizational development with the idea of change and how to manage change. And I think sometimes we lose sight of the, 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 the time that it takes. You know, and, and if you look at just, you know, our own patterns as human beings and the way we do things, and if you're trying to change that pattern, the conditioning and the, the practice that's re required. And so, you know, perhaps, as you said, not cutting edge, but just recognition that it, it, it's something new and different. And in comparison, when we look at occupational health and safety versus psychological health and safety, uh, like you said, still infancy, um, still in its infancy, and but that's okay because it, it it's just showing the the importance and the need for it as as we continue to grow as a collective in terms of recognition of the importance of it. Um, I wanted to ask you a little bit about the National Standard of Canada, and just for my own clarity and and possibly the listeners, um, you're are you talking about um my reference to that is looking at the National um, Mental Health Canadian Commission where they say thirteen psychological factors. Is that what you're referring to when you talk about the national standard? Yeah, so so there's it gets a little bit confusing because there's all of these different groups. So we do have a Mental Health Commission of Canada, and that's a national um, agency, and so they do um, you know kind of knowledge transfer around mental health. We then Canada has. Um, the CSA, which is the Canadian Standards Association. So CSA is responsible for all kinds of standards, from electrical to highways to recycling. Um, and our so the CSA has developed a national standard of Canada. So we had a technical committee stuck, struck about 10 years ago. We started that process for the very first time of CSA saying, let's create a workplace standard that has to do with 
mental health. And so that was very innovative back back in 2009 when this was first proposed. Um, and so within that standard, the standard provides a frame for organizations. And you are correct that there's a 13-factor psychosocial frame within the standard. So what the standard does is a few things. It defines what a psychologically healthy and safe workplace is. So one that prevents and promotes individual worker health, that avoids um, harm in negligent, reckless, or intentional ways. So promote and prevent psychological health and then do no harm um, are the two elements in there. And what the standard does is it outlines the best practices for organizations. So it says, okay, you organization have a responsibility and it's got higher responsibility and authority to attend to factors within your work environment that we know have the potential to impact any individual employee. Um, it also says, you know, you organization also have a responsibility to make sure that you equip every single people leader within your organization with the skills to lead in psychologically safe ways. And so that's any people leader, manager, supervisor, leader um, in any capacity. Um, and it identifies 13 different areas um, that are relevant. And so an example would be clear leadership and expectations. So that's one of the 13 factors. So the standard would say, we know if we we were working in work environments where there's clarity and leadership, where we know what we're supposed to do, where we understand what's expected of us, that we're going to be more likely to thrive. And all of us can probably think of examples over the years where we've been thrown into circumstances where, you know, our leaders didn't describe, we didn't even know what was expected of us. And we know that that creates a stress. So there's, there's a number of factors along that realm. Yep. Beautiful. Thank you for, for clarifying. Uh, and I, I was wondering about that because I find for managers or clients and, and, and individuals that I, that I, I work with, there, there's, it's a lot for them to take in, you know, um, and, and often it's coming from, from managers or clients that really just want to do good by their people. You know, like they really are, 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 are solid human beings wanting to ensure that the, that the individuals that are working in their organization feel healthy and feel strong and and feel heard, and and some of those are the are sort of worded as you've as you've described uh, in in those thirteen factors. I'm curious if you could speak to where you have found uh, organizations seeing um, good success in applying the standard, and where you feel like there's still some more work that um, would be beneficial for them to be doing as it relates to maybe the thirteen factors, or in general when you think about mental health and psychological safety. Yeah, great question. And you're absolutely right, Jody. that this can feel overwhelming, right? A lot of organizations are, you know, you get this big technical document and there's all these guidelines and resources and factors and people feel overwhelmed with even kind of often knowing where to start. And what I suggest is the best place to start is step back bird's eye view. So like take the standard out of your mind even for a minute and the factors and don't even worry about those and step back high level and think about your work environment. So whether it's the organization as a whole, a department, a division, a unit, right? Whatever your work team definition is, that's going to be different for all of us. Because within work environments, a large organization isn't just one organization. It's comprised of multiple different work units and teams within there, and each will have their own kind of culture and issues. So then what you want to do is step back and keep a few things in mind. So the, the first place I suggest organizations start is just understand the awareness, understand the numbers. So even if you've never ran any survey in-house, 
what we know is 20% of Canadians are going to deal with a mental health issue every year. So you can just take how many employees you have, you can multiply it, <laughs> you can have an estimate of what that looks like. Make the assumption that you have 20% of your workforce, um, and that's best of time, so we can talk more about the impact COVID is having, um, that are going to deal with mental health issues. And so the vast majority, we also know, aren't necessarily going to present or manifest in any way. Vast majority of people, 85 to 90%, never take any extra time off work. Here's the reality. Most of us need to work because we need a paycheck, and we need to show up to be able to do that, right? And so that's, you know, that's what we know about data. Then I'll say the next step, organizations to do is think about hmm, how much do we think about talk about or support mental health within our organization and again before you even go into doing any survey or audit or anything sort of think hmm, what are the kinds of mental health psychological stressful human behavior issues we may have within our organization and also people just step back there and think about that right because the reality is most organizations, without even ever going into anything in detail, they're going to know their pain points, right? We know when relationships aren't going well, when teams are not cohesive, when, you know, there's Joe the leader that, you know, everybody knows about and stays out of his way, and when there's X, Y, Z, right? We can all think of different stories that happen within our work environments is understand what those are and do good self-reflection first on pain points and then strengths. And that's the starting point. And then when you start to get a sense there is what the standard can do, it's not a rush to the finish line at all. The idea is, I mean, it takes years for organizations to embed psychological health and safety in their organization. But what you want to do is start somewhere. So then what you do is first you understand and self-examine what you also do is you then say, okay, what are some of our biggest pain points? And now let's get a roadmap that can help us figure out how to approach this. And that's where the standard can start to come in by giving you that roadmap and direction on what to do. Love it. Love it. You had me thinking a bunch of, a bunch of things and, and two in particular that I wanted to highlight. Um, as you were speaking about sort of getting a pulse and the data, and in addition to that, the self-reflective questions, it, it made me think about some of the different change model, um, change strategies that exist where let's just freeze, take a look and take stock of where we're at right now. Um, and I, I really appreciate you saying that, it, it, including how to make it feel less overwhelming. So if you just look at the broad data, like the 20% or the 85 and 90 where it's not being manifested. And so what do we want to do just knowing that sort of broad data? And I think that that's really helpful, Dr. Samra, because uh, for folks that are in the HR space or managers, when we look at analytics, sometimes it's hard to sort of to know or how to digest, let alone unpack the stats. And so I, I really appreciate you saying, well, you know what, just start pretty simple. Like we know what the stats say, what the research is. And, and, I, and I strongly believe in you that the research doesn't lie. So let's start with the 20%. I also love the idea of then once you've taken stock and you've sort of frozen in time, now let's look at some guidance. And so I, I like the idea of that you said, well, now let's look at the standard and sort of see what we're able to do in incremental um, plans or stages. Because again, I think sometimes we, we do have this, depending on the individuals working on a certain file, this need to just get it done and, you know, because it doesn't feel good. It, it, it can be an uncomfortable topic. And sometimes if we don't feel good, we want a quick fix. And so I, I really appreciate you highlighting that this is something that, that, that will take time and, and be okay with that. And, and so I think that those are really important pieces 
that 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 should be highlighted. Um, I'm curious, just to take you a little bit back from from when you had shared your intro and the idea around the different roles that we play in our lives, and specifically, uh, again, with your subject matter expertise and the work that you're doing um, with not the clinical practice, but the more consultative arm when it comes to workplaces. I'm wondering if you could just share what, what's been your intent? Like what's motivated you? I mean, you shared a little bit about um, the human connection and wanting to hear stories um, as it relates to the consulting arm um, or the national standard and the work that you're doing with CSA. What's your sort of intention and, and are you getting there? Um, like what's the impact been with all the work that you've been doing thus far? Yeah, great question. I would say some of that is is has been evolving over time. And if I go back to, you know, way back kind of pre-standard and, and when I became started to become more heavily involved in in research and national work around this topic, I you know, I still remember where the you know the kind of first request came um for what ultimately turned into a, you know, 12 years and later, still going strong national initiative around the standard. And at that point, of course, didn't know. And I remember um, uh, an agency coming and saying, you know, what we want to do is we want to start with giving employers a place to start. Mm-hmm. So let's help employers figure out where do they start. And I remember thinking, oh my goodness, okay, like, you, there's so much. And at that time, nobody was talking about mental health, right? And there was very little discussion. And it seems hard to believe now, but it, it's um, come a long way just even in the last 10 years. And, and so I'd say initially that intent was, how can we find good, intuitive, practical, and easily accessible ways for organizations to access good knowledge on what to do when often they don't have you know, big budgets to do this. And so, um, and I say that because I'm very proud. I've been very intentional throughout my career of aligning myself with doing a lot of volunteer and pro bono work and, and the vast majority of, I mean, my community work, everything around the standard um, has fallen in that category. And all of the resources that I'm very proud to have been commissioned to do and lead around the standard are all public domain. And so that means free. And that was one of my strongest intents um, initially was let's not make this cost prohibitive. So we know that the average organization is a small business and we know small businesses. I'm the CEO and founder of a small business myself. You are lean and you are leaner right now if you're living in the era of COVID. And, and um, you know, the barrier for a lot of people, it's, it was removing that barrier, which is ah, we don't have, you know, fill in the blanks money to hire someone to do this, you know, big consulting budgets. We don't have time. We don't have this. And the idea was to give practical and accessible content um, that people can access to know how to start and where to start. Um, And there I would say, yes, I feel like I continue to be, um, continue to be very heavily invested in pushing out so much public domain information because Dr. Google will reveal all kinds of (laughs) things to you and it's not the best to go. And now I'd say, you know, it's evolving and it's, it's evolved a lot in 2020. I'll tell you when we see that what's happening in this world is I, I, I think it's, it's more now about really having people develop, not just awareness, right? I think awareness is like, oh, okay, great. We know this is an issue, but more than that, to really kind of embody that idea, like if our organizations, if our leaders can really just like embody and truly, truly with every fiber of their being understand that this matters, our relationships, how we communicate, our mental health, 
you know, organization is not bricks and mortar and COVID has taught us that we do not, it isn't walls in a building. And, and now in fact, it's much less walls in a building. An organization is comprised of the people within that organization. And if you have healthy employees, you're going to have a resilient and healthy organization. If you have unhealthy or unhealthy conditions, situations, factors that contribute to unhealthiness um, within your organization, whether it's psychologically or physically, you're going to have an unhealthy organization. Yeah, absolutely. It's so much richness again in what you said, um, especially is just a, a gratitude that I want to share in terms of the, the giving back uh, quality and what you described in terms of the, the reality for many in terms of um, budget shouldn't be prohibitive on supporting your people. And I agree as a, as a sufferer of anxiety, I know all too well Dr. Google and the harm that it can do. And so I, um, I appreciate you sharing, you know, solid, good information that will really be helpful for people that is made free so that they can take with it and, and do what they need in terms of supporting um, the people in their organizations. Um, I think that that can't be understated um, at all. Uh, I'm curious about, and, th and thank you for sharing that in a little bit more detail around your your intentions as it relates to this this topic. I'm curious. I have two other questions for you. Uh, I'm dying to ask you a little bit about COVID, but I, I'm first curious about, given your intent and the work that you've been doing and the and the impact. Um, well, one, can you speak to the impact that it's had on you personally? And then the second part is. How do you feel like the impact is going when it comes to organizations? What, what, where do you see positives? Do you see more space? Um, maybe if you could speak to impact in, in, in both ways. Yeah, absolutely. And maybe if you could say a little bit more when you're saying impact on me. So impact of how things have evolved or my involvement in yeah, that. I would say how things have evolved, given what your intent is in terms of helping organizations have employees feel healthy, um, arming them with information that they can use to, 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 to build more awareness and or, or, or healthy organizations. You know, your, your life's work thus far is, is you, you've exemplified the, this, the desire to help. And so I'm curious about how you're feeling about that right now in terms of impact on you. Oh, yeah. Great question. Um, I mean, what is I'd say? I, you know, I feel proud of the work that I've done. Absolutely. Um, you know, I think it's taking topics that are hard for people to talk about and trying to make them digestible and accessible. Um, I, you know, think I continue to be stunned in, in a positive way. Um, I think at how new often this information is to the average person. And I believe this for people in general, you know, I, you know, the vast majority of us and anyone that's parent is going to know this, like children are born innocent. Right. And, and I believe that we want to do good. And I just believe that about humans. I also have a, you know, federal prison working forensic background. And so I can also tell you that I also do believe that there's a small percentage of the population that's, you know, wired in a particular way that does harm. Um, I think all of the data, every which way we cut it, is that that's less than 5%. So what that means is 95% of people want to do the right thing. And when things are going not the right way, it's not because people are bad or trying to hurt or do things the wrong way. We're just not taught these things. And I think if we go back to thinking, you know, what are we ultimately talking about? 
relationships and how we relate and communicate and lead and support within organizations. That's what psych health and safety is. Again, it's not a policy. It's about relationships at the end of the day. And most of us in our families of origin are not necessarily taught any of those skills really well. And so there's often this light bulb moment that goes on for people. And they say, I would personally find that just very rewarding, right? People mm-hmm. will kind of get something and they're surprised and then it makes sense and they didn't even know and they didn't even think about it. And yeah, so I would say that and and that would be the, the impact on me personally. Yeah, wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. And I, I love what you said around because I've said this to clients and, and, and folks when it's been, you know, maybe a, a labor relations issue or a grievance where, you know, f- uh, biases or assumptions or perceptions have formed. And I've always said I, I've yet to meet a manager who wants to do harm. Like people just want to be happy coming to work and they want the people they work with to be happy. And so I appreciate the stats that you've shared in, the, in, in that realm and, and even the fact that you've got the correctional background where you can actually espouse and say, I've kind of seen it all. Um, and I think also that it's not soft stuff. I spoke with a, a gentleman that I quite like the way he said that, you know, it's not necessarily soft, soft skills or hard skills, but if we are going to look at it that way, it's hard to have these skills. And so it's the hard skills that we're not, as you said, we're, we're not necessarily um, trained or, or, or taught sort of to think this way. Um, and in the human resources, the way I was taught, to be honest, was very sort of, um, linear, um, you know, this, 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 and this, or, or this policy and, and breaking that out and, and, and looking at it in a, a more organic and relationship way. I, I, I appreciate you, you sharing that. And, and I guess my question is, is that where you feel like the most impact is coming in doing this work for organizations? Do you, do you see them, like you said, sort of these wow moments where they're like, I never really thought of it that way. Can you speak a little bit more to the impact that you're seeing um, within organizations as it relates to the work they're doing around mental health? Yeah, absolutely. I'd say, you know, certainly within organizations, first there's, I think there's a relief. Like that would be, I think, one of the sentiments that people will experience is, so the, I'm a psychologist, but I'm also a human being. And, and you know, what I'll have to say is people, as, us as people, all of us, we're all kind of weird and wacky, right? <laughs> people are just, we're funny creatures. We think in kind of weird ways and we can make up a story in our head and we could believe that's happening. And, you know, we can transport ourselves in our mind to something 20 years ago. We can fast forward to some catastrophe 30 years from now, right? We like, we do weird and wacky stuff. And so, so it's also part of the beauty of human beings, um, but we're imperfect beings and we're complicated beings. And so when we go into an organization, when we're dealing with all the psychological health and safety issues, they're, around, they're people issues, right? That's, I mean, human resources and psych health and safety are one in the same, I believe, essentially. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a people issue it's a, or a relational issue and it's complicated and so where we say absolutely there's room and place for things like you know policies and structure and practice we need these and there's a relief that i think could come along with that for people sometimes when they'll say ah this is hard i am trying the best i can i this is a skill that i actually wasn't taught in university and so now i'm going to figure out some other way around it and now i have something that can help me know that i have a stepwise way that i can start to approach this yeah yeah and i you know as and we are beings that like some direction right like having a tangible tool and so the idea around 
not being able to see trust or see necessarily a, a brave or safe space to talk about these things can be hard. And as you said, you know, very complex in terms of working through it. Um, but I think where, where I know I've seen a lot of progress is organizations recognizing that the space is needed and, and, and that with that space will come sort of the tools or the guidance or the standard and, and what you're going to do with that. So it's almost like a 180. Instead of starting with policy, let's start with listening. Let, let's start with building a relationship and then see what's needed. Because as you said, although some of this might be in its infancy, um, and now way more amplified given we're in COVID, uh, the tools and the sort of more tangible things are available. It's just a matter of figuring out maybe when to inject them and when to introduce them for so that people are ready for them, you know, at the end of the day. Yeah, absolutely. I absolutely agree with all of that. So I've got um, uh, one, one question as we sort of lead towards the end here, and I'd love to hear your thoughts. Uh, you've mentioned a few times the pandemic. Um, what do you see happening? What, what, what are you, what's your take on the current climate that we're in as it relates to the pandemic and psychological safety and mental health in the workplace? Yeah, such a, yeah, such an important question. And I think, you know, a few things. So one is here we are dealing with what is a physical threat, right? So we have a teeny tiny little virus that has taken hold of the world mm -hmm. and has paralyzed the world. And, and we're doing all kinds of good things. We're staying inside and wearing masks and not shaking hands and being careful and doing all these things to protect ourselves physically. Right. And so, yeah, I'm very grateful on a daily basis to be living in Canada. I mean, one of the best places in the world, even before COVID, but certainly one of the best places in the world right now. Um, and what I would say is the vast majority of us, we haven't been affected directly, right? Or hopefully have not been. There's only a very small percentage of us that have actually felt those impacts of, say, death, um, which is the worst outcome, of course, that we would have. Every single one of us, there's not a person I can find that's going to argue that this hasn't affected their mental health. Mm -hmm. and, and so while we're dealing with a physical illness, I believe the biggest impacts we have seen every which way, whether it's in my clinical practice group, whether it's with our corporate consulting, whether it's broader, um, is on the emotional health. And we're only, I mean, we haven't even hit, we're almost hitting four months now of the pandemic being announced. And um, in that time already, we have seen that this is Canadian data, rates of depression are doubling, rates of alcohol use are going up 25%, uh, rates of domestic violence and family violence have gone up, and rates of anxiety have quadrupled. And we're only in the first quarter here of, of, of the phase here. And I think, you know, it's been, my goodness, I think all of us have become, and if we haven't yet become aware, we certainly are going to be or should be aware of things that we need to be doing to promote our own individual psychological health and wellness and resilience, things that we can do to support those that are around us. Um, and that includes, is inclusive of our work environments. Mm -hmm. um, I think this, I think the emotional impacts are going to be the greatest impacts and casualties that we see through this. And, and I think that also as hard as that may make things feel for people, I think it also gives us really beautiful opportunities to start to think about 
supporting others in different ways. And again, that's ultimately what psych health and safety is about. It's creating healthy and safe environments. And now we have a collective stress that we're dealing with. And all of us are impacted in different ways, depending on what we do and how much we have to go out and who we're exposed to, our own personal health, who's in our family, who we're exposing to, right? We have all of those individual factors. Um, But never before have we ever had such a shared human experience when it comes to emotional fear, right? Mm -hmm. We all have the same fear of getting the same thing. Um, And never before have we had such an opportunity where we are able to, if we so choose that path, and of course we see lots of examples happening in the world, especially to our neighbors down south that are I think very unsettling for our psyche. It's very unsettling. I know for myself, I've found, you know, it's, it's been hard for head and heart and mind to catch up to all the, some of it, which is nonsense happening in our world. And mm-hmm. to think, my goodness, here's an opportunity. People should be connecting and supporting and doing our best to minimize stress. Um, and we have choices that we can make through there. And so I think I, I believe it underscores the imperative for all of us as individuals to think more and care more about mental health and to to support that in our broader communities yeah i couldn't i couldn't agree more i mean it, as you said it's it humans are complex and i i sometimes joke i'm like does hr have to be though i mean i, I know we are as as you as a species and and the ideas around what we can do with you know such such a, a scary time and the tragedies that many of us are facing you know the idea, the exponential awareness and growth around mental health and the importance of it in the workplace, if it hasn't happened now, I'm not sure when it ever would happen. Um, and I, I also agree with you on um, the, the, the opposition and the different wants that exist in this world or, or, or sort of the struggles that we see happening uh, in, this, in the U.S. And, and even in Canada. Um, it, it is sad and hard in terms of a pandemic in addition to some of the, the, the even deeper issues that are occurring. Um, and, and, and maybe this is the way it's supposed to play out. I don't know. The universe is, can work some funny ways and, and scary ways, maybe. Um, I, I'm curious about your final thoughts. Um, it's a big topic, and so I, I appreciate uh, your, your time and your willingness to share. Where would you like to leave the audience in terms of final thoughts as they relate to psychological health and safety? wellness, mental health in the workplace? Mm, Wonderful closing question. You know, it's as simplistic or Pollyanna-ish as it may sound. Um, It's that adage of be the change that you want to see. And I think now life feels hard and it is hard for a lot of people. Things are overwhelming. Jobs are in jeopardy. Relationships are being questioned. People have worry and fear about all kinds of things. Um, Yet, You know, we've also got, I I believe, a moral imperative and a responsibility to do our best to show up the best way that we can, especially now. Um, And so I would encourage everybody to self-reflect and take a look at the things that you can improve, enhance, do better when it comes to supporting your own self. It's like that good old oxygen mask metaphor. If we're not taking good care of ourselves, we're useless to everybody around us, um, especially to leaders. I was speaking to a CEO group this morning and, you know, it's that oxygen mask. Take care of yourself because burnout is a very big risk for, especially for anyone who's a people leader right now. Um, And be kind and connect and find mechanisms. Again, we don't have that bricks and mortar office space for all of us the same way that we did four months ago. 
But even more important now is it is for us to be able to connect and support each other um, through this very strange and unusual time. Well, thank you for that. Um, and I wanted to thank you for, for your time. I, I, I can imagine how busy you've been over the last four months, let alone prior to, to COVID starting. And just such gratitude for you sharing your thoughts and your, your feelings along the lines of um, mental health and psychological safety in the workplace. So um, just a huge thank you. It was, it was an honor to speak with you, really. Uh, well, thank you so much. And my real pleasure. And, and thank you for all the great work you're doing and getting important messages out to others. Super. Thank you.